Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. A young virgin turns up pregnant. In that culture there, that was worthy to be stoned. Okay, It, it was quite, quite the issue at that point in time. Punishable by her death, being unfaithful to the man that she was engaged to, plus coming up pregnant before the full ceremony of the marriage came about. But don't forget, the angel Gabriel came and assured her that her pregnancy was, was a miracle of God. Imagine you're a woman who is about to give birth. What would you be hoping for? Probably a comfortable place to rest, competent help for the delivery, and everything ready for the baby at home. For one couple, not one of those things happened. As we'll hear today in Pastor David's teaching, Joseph and Mary did not experience an easy path in bringing Jesus into the world. In fact, it was probably tiring, scary, and uncomfortable. We'll consider today how God uses difficult circumstances to accomplish amazing things. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, So Wrong, Yet So Right. How can everything so evidently wrong end up yet being so right? Most of you are probably aware that uh, of, of the statue of David done by Michelangelo. Uh, the statue of David itself, David himself, is a uh, little bit over 14 feet tall. But were you aware that Michelangelo wasn't the only sculptor that worked on that project? As a matter of fact, the project began back in 1464. There was an Italian artist by the name of Augustino de Duccio. I had to practice that name since I don't speak Italian. Augustino de Duccio had a block of marble nearly 17 feet tall and it was provided by a quarry in, on the northern area of Tuscany. He worked on the project for a couple of years, and then after that couple of years, he had only gotten so far as kind of roughly putting in where the legs were and the feet and a little bit of work on the torso, and then and then he stopped. For some unknown reason, he stopped, and the slab of marble remained untouched for about 10 years. And then in 1475, another sculptor by the name of Antonio Rossellino came and began working on the project again. After working on the project for some time, Rosalino, he stopped also. And he said, there, there's a problem with this slab of marble. There's some defects in it. And if I continue on with this, the whole thing is going to uh, collapse. Uh, you would not be able to, to stand it up with the, with the statue of David there. There's imperfection within the slab. I can't do anything with it at all. And so 
the slab of marble laid on its side, sat out in the courtyard of the, of the commission that was having it done for about 25 years beyond that, subject to all the rain, the wind, the freezing temperatures, the extremity of temperatures. For 25 years, it sat there until finally the commission said, look, we've got to get someone to work on this piece of marble. We want that statue of David to be there. And so they talked to several of the uh, important sculptors of that time. Leonardo da Vinci was actually one that they spoke to, as well as some others. And then a, a young artist that was already making his name because of some other work that he did, only 25 years of age, Michelangelo, uh, convinced the commission that he could be the one to finish up this sculpture of David. So once they gave the contract to Michelangelo, he began working on the statue of David almost immediately. And from 1501 until 1506, he worked on that statue. And now it is recognized as as the most well-known, most beautiful, most impressive statues that we have. That's going back to ancient as well as modern times, Greek uh, statues and Roman, all of those. David stands out among all the rest, even with what was known to be some imperfections within it. How could something so evidently wrong turn out to be so right? I want to take your thoughts to another situation that seems so evidently wrong and yet turned out so right. Mary, A young virgin turns up pregnant. In that culture there, that was worthy to be stoned. Okay, It it was quite, quite the issue at that point in time. Punishable by her death, being unfaithful to the man that she was engaged to, plus coming up pregnant before the full ceremony of the marriage came about. But don't forget, the angel Gabriel came and assured her that her pregnancy was was a miracle of God. And it was because she was so highly favored, not because she had been unfaithful. That was the reason she was pregnant. Something that was so evidently wrong turned out to be so right. But let's not forget Joseph in this whole scenario. Joseph was a righteous man. He, he finds out that his fiancée is pregnant and he knows the child isn't his. He determines to break off the engagement because Joseph is a righteous man. And he finds out that his fiancée has been unfaithful to him. Something so evidently wrong. But then don't forget here again, the angel Gabriel comes to Joseph and says, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And when he is born, you shall call his name Jesus, because he'll save his people from their sins. Something so evidently wrong turned about turned out to be so wonderfully right. In the midst of all of this, Mary being pregnant, Joseph now, they're they're coming together. But in the midst of all this, in the late terms of her pregnancy, the government determines that there needs to be a census. This census requires that this young couple, Mary in the late months of her pregnancy, to travel from Nazareth, 75 miles south, to the little town of Bethlehem. A most critical time in her pregnancy, and yet the government is forcing them to make this journey. Something so evidently wrong at this point in time in their life. And yet, the census leads them to Bethlehem, the place where the prophet Micah declared that Messiah had to come from. What was so evidently wrong turned out to be so right. Once they got there, 
It's not over yet. The, the crowds were so immense there and the little town was so packed with people. There was absolutely no room in them, room in the inn for them to stay, much less deliver a baby. And so they had to find a place. And yet what seemed to be so evidently wrong, God had determined that in his coming in human flesh that Jesus would humble himself to the utmost. And so in humility, he was born in the stable, in a, in a feeding trough. Everything that we look at this whole event is so evidently wrong, and yet God turned it to be so wondrously right. I think that each one of us, sometimes in our lives, we, we've had those days, we've had those seasons in our lives that we ask the question, where are you, God? Everything in my life seems to be going so wrong, so bad right now. There's not an answer for it. I can't figure it out. Whether it be just a few days or whether it's been a long season in your life where things you're struggling with and there just seems to be a battle. Lord, I've committed my life to you. I want to honor you in my life. And yet there are so many things that are coming against me that are just hammering against me left and right. I don't even know how to stand anymore. Why is so much wrong in my life right now? To help you understand that a little better. Let's go back to that scene 2,000 years ago. Reigning over the Roman Empire was a Caesar by the name of Augustus. From the time of 27 B.C. until his death in A.D. 14, Augustus reigned as over the entire Roman Empire. He wasn't the worst of Caesars, but neither was he the, the best of Caesars. But the reign of Augustus did bring about in the Roman Empire a time of peace called the Pax Romana. The time of peace brought about during the time of Augustus actually lasted till quite a while after his death. And according to Luke's record, it was Augustus that ordered that census of requiring that young carpenter and his betrothed to travel from Bethlehem down to Nazareth. You've got your Bibles with you this morning. Let's turn to that very, very familiar passage, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, we read these verses. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. You need to understand that not only was Augustus the Caesar of the time, but in the area where Mary and Joseph lived, in the area and the land of the Jews, there was a fellow by the name of Herod later to be known as Herod the Great. And he, though he was under the rule and under the authority of Augustus, he was the king of that area, and he ruled over the Jewish people at that time. Now, you can definitely get lost in a study of the family of the Herods. They were an absolute mess. As a matter of fact, uh, um, the idea of dysfunctional family, I think that started with the Herods. Because they were so, so messed up. Uh, the, the families, the lifestyles, intermarriages between relatives, uh, murders of parents, of siblings, of spouses, uh, even murders of their own children. Truly, they were the poster child of dysfunctionality. And because of the weirdness, because of the strangeness of Herod, he was, he was a very jealous 
man. He was so afraid that someone was going to take him off the throne. It it had taken quite a bit of finagling, quite a bit of deceit and and string pulling, and yes, even murder for Herod to be able to get the place in the position that he had at that point in time. And he ruled over that area of Palestine from about 36 B.C. until his death in 4 B.C. Now, thanks to the Jewish historian Josephus, we know that his death happened sometime uh, late March, early April of 4 B.C. And yet, we also know, according to the biblical records, that he was alive at the time of Jesus' birth. Now, think about this for a moment, because this is going to mess some of you up. What does B.C. mean? Before Christ. Herod died four years before Christ. No, he was alive. The problem is, is that our calendars are a little bit off. The calendars that we have today, they actually split the time B.C. before Christ and A.D., Anno Domini. Anno Domini means in the year of our Lord. Now, we did not have that division until around 525 A.D., the year of our Lord, 525. Pope John I, he had asked a a monk by the name of Dionysius to put together a calendar in order to easily date the times. Because up until that time, they set the dates by the year of whoever was ruling that area. Oh, it was in the third year of so-and-so's rule. And if we all knew who was ruling at that time, we we would know exactly what time they were talking about. It was during the second administration of uh, Obama or Bush or whoever. Uh, We would know what time that was. They didn't have the dating. So around 525, they decided that they would go ahead and date it. And they dated it according to the time of Jesus' birth. So Dionysius, with all the information that he had, went back and started and and set a, a point in time that says everything prior to this is before Christ. Everything after this is in the year of our Lord. The problem is, is Dionysius got it off by four years. Actually, Christ, being born to the best of our records, the best of our understanding, was actually born, according to Dionysius' calendar, actually in four B.C. Now, because he got those four years wrong, that means that you're probably four years older than you think you are, okay? I just want to let you know, so. That means your 12-year-old can start driving? No, no, we don't want to go there. We don't want to go there. Anyway, Matthew's gospel account tells us that Herod, in an effort to, to kill the newly born Christ child, he, he sent his troops into Bethlehem to kill all of the male children from two years old and under. All of these things working together, all of the other historical events, we, we fully understand that, that it's very most likely Christ was born at around 4 B.C. But regardless of the exact date, the command for the registration had been sent out by Caesar Augustus. Luke chapter 2, down in verse 3, tells us more of the story. Verse 3, so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So here we are, Mary's nine months pregnant. And she and Joseph have to make this 75-mile journey, a journey away from the comforts of home. How could everything so evidently wrong 
yet turn out to be so right. Really, we have to ask ourselves, why at this place? Why at this time? And why this way? Why did all these things have to happen? As far as the place is concerned, Bethlehem was a little town or a village located within the shadow of Jerusalem, about six miles southwest of the, of the bustling city of Jerusalem. The very meaning of the name Bethlehem is house of bread. How appropriate that in the house of bread, the bread of life would be born. Bethlehem was the hometown of someone by the name of Naomi. If you've done a study in the book of Ruth, you know who Naomi is. Remember Naomi, her husband and her two sons, because of a famine in the, in the land of Palestine at that time, in the land of Canaan, they, they left that area and went across the river to the land of the Moabites, the, the Gentiles over there. And once they got over there, Naomi's husband and her two sons died, and yet her two sons had married. They had married Moabite women and as Naomi decided, well, I might as well go back home. One of the daughter-in-laws stayed while the other one came with her. And this is the story of Ruth we see in our Old Testament. When they got back, the, the area of the town that they came back to was her hometown, Bethlehem. And as they were there, and as, as Ruth working out in the field, she met one of their relatives. Remember a man by the name of Boaz. Boaz lived, and his family was from Bethlehem. And we find out that as Ruth and Boaz came together as husband and wife, they had a child whose name was Obed. Obed, as he grew older and he got married, he had a child by the name of Jesse. Jesse, as he got older and had a child, his child was named David. One of his sons was named David. David, the one who would become the king of Israel. So Bethlehem became known as the city of David, King David's hometown. This is also where Samuel the prophet found David when Samuel the prophet came to anoint the king of Israel once Saul had gone so far off God's direction and plan. Bethlehem, city of David, the town of David, the house of bread, all of these things. But even more directly, Bethlehem was a place of prophetic announcement. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, we read, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, and yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. The reason why this place? Well, it was a fulfillment of prophecy. It was where the Christ had to be born. And yet it looks so evidently wrong for Mary and Joseph at that point in time. Why in the world should we have to make this journey 75 miles? Here I am. I'm at the very end of my pregnancy. Can't we wait till my pregnancy is over? I can give birth here in Nazareth. But what was so evidently wrong, God planned and purposed to be so evidently and absolutely right. As far as the timing of his birth, it was during a time in history that the region had that peace on earth. It was available, though, only to those that, that agreed with and were in line with the Caesar and, and all of his appointed rulers of the area. And although Augustus was the emperor of the Roman area, Herod the Great had such great authority over the, over the Jews and over this particular area that was under his control. As a matter of fact, if Herod said that you live, you had a pretty good chance you're going to live. But if Herod said you're going to die you probably would not see the light of day the next day. That's how much power and authority he had at that point in time. 
The Pax Romana was, was a peace that was maintained by the sword. You step out of line, you get out of order, you break the rule, you disturb the peace, and you're going to be taken out of the equation. So when they say you have to go to that city of your family, that's where Joseph had to go. All of the Roman Empire was under the oppression of the, the personality and the quirks and the emotional instability of both the Caesar as well as all of his cohorts like Herod the Great. Not a very pleasant time to be born in. Not a very pleasant time to live in. But the question is, is why was Jesus born at this time? Why didn't Jesus come sooner? Much sooner. Many generations had already passed. The need for a Savior was definitely great. But verse 6 here says, And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed that for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Did you catch that? The days were completed for her to be delivered. Do you realize that's actually a messianic statement? The days were completed for her to be delivered. Not only Mary to be delivered, but for the deliverance of all mankind. This was the time, this was the place where God brought forth a deliverer out of Zion. The Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 4 that it was when the fullness of time had come. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. You see, when the fullness of time, when God's exact time and plan and purpose was fulfilled. Albert Barnes, a uh, biblical commentator, shares this about God's timing. He says the exact period had arrived when all things were ready for his coming. It's often asked why he didn't come sooner or why mankind didn't have the benefit of the incarnation and the atonement immediately after the fall. Why were there 4,000 years of dark and gloomy time that were allowed to roll on and the world suffered to sink deeper and deeper in ignorance and in sin? To these questions, perhaps no answer entirely satisfactorily can, can be given. God undoubtedly saw reasons which we cannot see. Barnes continues on. He says it may be observed that this day of redemption was in entire accordance with the whole system of divine arrangements and with it all the divine plan and work of God was shown to be in favor of man. And so the incarnation and the work of the Savior was seen by God to be the best time, the time when, on the whole, the race would be most benefited by his coming even with our limited and imperfect vision. What's God doing in your life? The timing? Is it in your timing? I, one thing that I've known in life, I'm 63 years old. I've been uh, a Christian since I was uh, 17 years old. One thing I've come to know in those short, short years, God's never late. He's seldom early. But he's always on time. In his perfect timing, he works. Warren Wiersbe also writes about this time frame of why, in a more practical sense, Jesus would be born at this place at this time. He writes that from the historical viewpoint, 
The Roman Empire itself helped prepare the world for the birth of the Savior. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. On behalf of Pastor David Landry and the production team here at The Open Word, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. This has been a special edition of The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. To learn more about The Open Word, visit our website at theopenword.com. You can download today's teaching or subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Subscribing to The Open Word Podcast is the best way to stay up to date with all of the latest messages from David. To subscribe, log on to theopenword.com, click on the podcast option on the home page, or simply search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. That's info at theopenword.com. When you contact us, let us know the call letters of the station you heard The Open Word on and how today's broadcast has blessed you. Your feedback helps us know the Lord's direction for this ministry. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. And again, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Happy New Year.